welcome to the Business Banter and Bourbon Podcast with your hosts, Ben and Tom. The, um... Read the label. The, the, the bourbon. <laughs> Just read the label. Well, this tell is, you everything about this it. Is, it's perfectly ironic because, um... You remember from last podcast, we were we were talking about the Woodford Reserve um, yes. wheat, yes, whiskey, not <laughs> bourbon, that we were drinking. <laughs> riffing a little bit. And you mentioned, um, in response to my comment about the root beer bourbon uh, that my, my neighbor had, uh-huh. how how much of a distaste you had for the Knob Creek maple. <laughs> and, and my my darling wife, um, who wants to support this podcast, was, was out shopping, and she wanted to pick up a nice bottle of bourbon for this week's episode. And she happened to stumble across uh, a bottle of Knob Creek maple and thought that would be just the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that we should have for this week, and I know you're not big on the the, the sweetsy uh, kind of bourbons, uh, but you know this this one's kind of nice, kind of comforting on a on a cool fall night. Yes. Um, get to get to settle in, sip a little maple tasting bourbon. Uh, yeah, but, I think probably um, for the uh, the novice bourbon drinker, this would be a good start. Yeah, because it's nice and sweet and gentle. It, it, it's sweet. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have like the the fiery taste yeah. to it that you could sometimes get from those you know those charred barrels this is really yeah. really toned down i mean it really leads with a lot of maple notes like it, it kind of it does have a strong maple syrupy kind of taste it, to it it does the first time i had it i did not mix it with water or ice or anything because i drank straight up and i had a overwhelming hankering for pancakes <laughs> but now but now mixed with a little water this is this is very tasty knob creek smoked maple what else does that say on it yeah let's uh, let's take a look here you know knob creek is it's kind of a good go-to distillery you know a lot like a lot like woodford you can you can get a nice bottle of rye out of there you can get a nice bourbon um yeah, just just smoke maple, maple Kentucky straight uh, bourbon whiskey with all natural flavors. Um, smoked maple. I'm not exactly sure um, what that precise process is. Uh, to tell you the truth, to get that sort of smokiness to the maple taste, but it, it says all natural flavors, so I'm not yeah. sure exactly the procedure that they're doing to get that. So, um, do they add maple flavoring to it, or? I, what, I wonder how they do that. It, it it the front of the label does say with natural flavors. So, so there in... could be a natural smoke flavor. There could be a natural sure. maple flavor. Yeah. In there too to sort of yeah. get those sweet notes that you get right off the bat. Like as soon as you as it hits your lips, it's it it really has that syrupy kind of taste to it. And it doesn't let up. It even finishes. It does with a syrupy it taste. It kind of hangs with a little you. bit. It <laughs> 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 hangs, hangs there with it. Alex, you having any yeah, of this? Kind of, no, no, kind of no. Vanilla-y. Okay, just right. water. Oh, no. oh no. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe on a break, I'll grab. On a break, yeah. I'm producing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, um, much happier with it this time around than first time I had. Yeah, cut it, so, cut it down with a little it, bit of water. If yeah, yeah if sweetsy, sweetsy bourbons, yeah. sweetsy drinks aren't really but your kind of thing, it, then yeah, yeah. And you know, a lot of whiskeys and bourbons like that, you should drink them with a little water. They usually give you a little glass of water that you can mix. You do it with scotches; they give you a little 
glass of water and a little pipette. You can put in a drop of water if you want or a whole pipette or a whole glass of water. But um, that does help with, you know, the flavorings and things too. So um, That's amazing. I remember you said when you were in St. Andrews um, that that was, that was how the, the old ladies, the locals, would go into the, the pubs have their evening scotch and actually do a few drops from a pipette and eyedropper. Yes, that's standard practice there. They give you a little pipette with your glass of water, and you can put in as many drops as you want. And uh, the first time uh, we we did it, we went into this local bar, and uh, I ordered up a scotch whiskey and picked one from the menu, and the guy gave it to me, and he goes, would you like water with it? I go, yeah, I love some water. So he brings over the little glass of water with the little pipette. You know, I'd never seen that before. So I took a full pipette, squeezed it in, took another one, squeezed it in, took another one, squeezed it in, probably put in, you know, a couple, couple ounces of water. There was, there was an old, a Scottish guy, old Scottish guy sitting next to me. You should have seen the look he gave me. Like, what are you messing with the Scotch for? You just leave it. Don't mess with it. Yeah. But uh, it does help. So. I like it that way. They're they're purists over there too. I remember yeah. um, <clears throat> my uncle was talking about how in Ireland um, he went for the first time and ordered a black and tan. Right, and they don't do that. Guinness no. Guinness is Guinness. Yeah, in Ireland they don't mix Guinness. It's a sacrilege no. uh, to debase Guinness in such a way. And he was pouring, you know, whatever ale it was over the spoon into the Guinness to make his black and tan. And the, the daggers <laughs> that he got from the locals sitting in the bar, was, he said it was unlike anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're pretty particular about their yeah. alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. But this so, this is a good one. But this is, so that's what we're sipping on. We're sipping on a little little Knob Creek smoked maple. So if you want something a little tame or you're new to bourbon, that's probably probably a good yep. one to, to break into. Yeah, we can do a little more research on that yeah. too to find out how they do that. But uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it is some some added natural flavors. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Good. Good. Well, what did we uh, what did we okay. have in the markets today? Kind of um, kind of a lot of action this week and it felt like there were there were three really big things um there was the anticipated excited run-up um in advance of the midterms uh as markets uh were trying to front run the impending red wave that did not actually materialize at all Mm -hmm. And then we had the collapse of FTX, uh, Mm Sam Bankman Fried's crypto trading firm Mm -hmm. uh, that led to just just a massive rout in the crypto space with Bitcoin falling 20% over the course of two days. Yeah. Um, yeah, what it's gone from what sixty one thousand or something like that a bit, year ago. Bitcoin to, was sniffing out seventy thousand per coin yeah, to sixteen. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was actually in the mid fifteens prior to the CPI release, yeah, and then the CPI wow. release, uh, <clears throat> which um, really sparked one of the biggest rallies in Dow Jones history. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but th- mm-hmm. that's kind of what I what I saw this week, and a lot of lot of excited buying activity, really tamed a little bit by by some of the overhang from crypto, 
but then just exuberant buying of risk assets yeah. um, after after the CPI release came in a little bit softer than expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we can talk a little bit later about where it's going from here. There certainly is a short-term view of it. But uh, it's still going to boil down to longer term, what does the Federal Reserve do? And once we get a clearer picture on that, I think we're, it, we're being set up probably for a pretty good couple of years before the 2024 <laughs> the biggie uh, the biggie the presidential comes, election yeah, before the presidential election so i think we could probably have a pretty good run coming if if everything lines up well but um you want to talk about the so midterms for a minute so let's, here yeah let's let's, so, let's let's talk about the midterms yeah, let's, because let's do that uh, like everyone else i was shocked by the results as they started to come in um, you know, absolutely blown away. And I, I believe we got confirmation this morning out of the Nevada Senate race that um, that seat did indeed go Democratic. So the Democrats have clinched 50 seats in the Senate, uh, thus retaining control of that chamber by virtue of Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote. So it almost doesn't really matter uh, what's going on in Georgia uh, with with Herschel Walker well, and, yeah, that, and Raphael Warnock. It's more just like the, the cherry on top uh, if the Democrats were able to pick up that seat. But they yeah, have clinched that, control of the chamber. Right. That's that's true. It, it doesn't matter. But you know who it matters to? Joe Manchin. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> because, true. Because really, I mean, his his influence will be downgraded somewhat if if you know, Warnock wins because then they don't really need Manchin's support right, to get a lot of things done, like when they're not going to get much done anyways other than, you know, appointing federal judges. But um, for yeah, the most the, part. The blue dog Democrat who, yeah. who frequently yep. swings the other way um, or puts the kibosh on bills uh, right. very publicly uh, over the past couple of years coming out saying, I, I cannot support this bill. I cannot support this legislation. There's no compromise that will get me there. Uh, we saw that a few times. I think we saw it with a few a few of the um, uh, the green deals uh, that the administration was trying to push, yeah, some right. of the infrastructure spending bills, I yes. think, that was trying right. to go through. And he, he yep. came out a few times saying he was opposed to that. And so, so I'm sure the Democrats really want to, Raphael Warnock to retain that seat in Georgia so they don't have to haggle uh yep. frankly with right. with Senator Manchin and yep. then his influence really yep. goes down quite a bit. Yeah, I think they'll they'll breathe a little easier if they do win Georgia. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens there. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting. I mean, you can dissect and drill down into these midterm local elections and state elections and whatever. You can spend days or months on this stuff, actually. But, you know, since we are a business podcast, we, <laughs> we need to take a helicopter view and talk about <clears throat> what's the impact to the business world and the investment community mm-hmm. to the midterms. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, I think as it, as it looks right now, uh, because there are still several seats um, that are not called yet, um, but it's, kind of looking like projections are saying the Republicans may get about 221 seats and the Democrats will maybe end the day with 214 seats. You need 218 to control um, the House of Representatives. Yeah, well, that's a pretty slim margin. Narrow, that would be a very slim margin. The narrowest yep. of narrow margins. Yep, yep. Um, 
but you know it it also it also is is likely going to lead to a to a degree of of gridlock on any new fiscal spending bills um any new tax taxation bills actually any new um regulations which is i think partially why we saw such um such a big run up in big tech uh yeah. this past week mm-hmm. um you know uh google meta um, even Apple, uh, pretty significant run-up. And with Republican control of Congress, it just seems very unlikely that any new additional regulation for for privacy or antitrust or anything like that is going to materialize out of that chamber uh, that would eventually become law. Right. So, so yep. it feels like it feels like pretty bullish for big tech uh, mm-hmm. for what we saw. And, you know, Wall Street wants to to paint a pretty broad brush there. You know, because that's kind of the general theme. Republicans are opposed to to tax um, increases. Uh, they're opposed to to spending. Uh, they're opposed to regulation. That generally favors uh, the business environment. But you know, the, the thing that I kind of think is bogus about you know the the flurry of activity for buying stocks is on an individual investor level, who's going out there saying, "Holy cow!" You know, the the Republicans are going to win the House. Yeah. I better load up on Apple. Like, yeah, no, you know, yeah, no. I mean, no, it's no. It's purely the traders and the market makers that are pushing that move. Like, yeah. you know, the the political party in control is not in and of itself a valid reason to be buying or selling a stock. You should be buying or selling a stock based on the individual company merits and the quality of yeah, the product. The, the, the two really really are not intertwined. In fact, I got a uh, kind of an interesting little, little quote here. This was in Barron's. Uh, I was talking about this very thing, investing in politics. And, and the guy that wrote the article goes, investing in politics go together about as well as mango chutney and burnt hair. So, <laughs> and that kind of right. sums it up. It really right. does. Yeah. And, you know, in the short term, investors really don't matter. The midterms really haven't mattered historically. There's been maybe three times where the midterms have made a difference to the market a year later. Every other time the midterms have pointed that the midterms have happened, the the market is higher the following year. It doesn't matter if the Democrats win the Repo- it doesn't matter. The investing community doesn't really care about that. However, I think in in you know it, you always hear about well this this will be good. We'll have gridlock because you'll have a sp- split Congress, mm-hmm. Democratic president. Okay, that's true from the things that you pointed out, but what, what does gridlock do for other elements of, of investing? Treasuries. Treasuries. Right. Um, and, and that is definitely an added risk premium for the treasury market without a doubt. And I personally believe the correct policy is a balanced budget or a budget surplus, preferably if you can get it, but the tactics, Mm -hmm that the Republicans of the GOP are likely to do in the House with a debt ceiling showdown is probably an added risk premium for treasuries that may not be baked into yields yet. And we remember what happened. Was it was it 2011 or something like that when uh, the Republicans went toe to toe with right. President Obama about this? And it went to the brink. It went it went to the brink, yeah. and it resulted in the U.S. losing its AAA credit rating right. uh, from S and P. We got downgraded to AA plus mm-hmm. um, as a result of that. Now, bond yields are a function of of really only a couple things. It's it's really duration and risk. 
uh, is, is really what you're talking about. Generally speaking, in a normal environment, the longer the duration of the bond, the higher the yield uh, should be, the higher interest rate should be on that particular security. But then there's the risk element, which is an added premium. Uh, to that interest rate. And that's why we're seeing the yield curve still inverted today yeah. is yeah. because markets believe uh, that, you know, there's a significant amount of short-term risk uh, with an impending recession. Uh, I think we're in one, but not officially yeah. Yeah. in the next year. Mm -hmm. And that added mm -hmm. risk premium is what we're seeing in the one-year bill, the two-year bill, uh, the five-year note compared to the 10-year and the 30-year. Um, yeah. And that even with massive collapse in yields that we saw on Thursday post CPI, we still have an inverted yield curve mm -hmm. by about 50 basis points with twos, tens. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think that element though, that added risk from a debt ceiling showdown that could materialize in 2023, um, I don't know that that's baked into the cake yet for treasuries yeah, or, it, for, I, or for debt I securities. don't think it is either. I mean, you got, um, Kevin McCarthy already talking about the agenda and, and is what are they going to do? They're, there's really not a lot they can do. So they're <laughs> going to hang their hat on the debt ceiling, you know, uh, argument. Mm -hmm. And they're going to push that, I think, to the limit again, from a political standpoint, that's kind of what they want to do. The other thing is they're already talking about investigations. So are they going to spend the next two years investigating the Biden administration on hunter biden and china and the rest you know if they do that i mean they're they're going to burn a lot of their their political capital and not set themselves up very well for 2024 and plus then you truly do have gridlock nothing will get accomplished nothing will get pushed through my concern with that is we don't know if we're headed into a recession or not we very well could be again depending on what the federal reserve does but if we go into a deep recession and companies start laying people off and things really start getting bad, what can they do from a legislative standpoint to counteract that? And if you've got total gridlock, we could be in for a long, dark period, you know, recessionary period, because nothing's going to get, you're going to have a Democratic Senate and a Republican Congress. Not, they're not going to agree on anything. You know how they argue, <laughs> regardless yeah. of what the issue is. Uh, one side takes one stance, the other one takes the other stance, and nothing gets accomplished. So my concern is that 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 you know the markets will see that at some point, and we could we could see a down, downward trend. Yeah, yeah. I also think the um, the one thing I haven't heard the the wise people on CNBC talk about at all is. What does a Republican-controlled House mean for the next upcoming fiscal stimulus when people start losing their jobs in droves? That's, As, that's my point. You, I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what what exactly is that going to look like? Right. I mean, I don't I don't see the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world signing up for you know no. additional rounds of of, of stimulus, no. um, which is going to hurt a lot of people, but that is also going to help with inflation, though. That's that's the big conundrum, and we talked last week about how we believe the, F the Federal Reserve's unofficial policy actually is a recession. They can't admit it publicly, but I think Powell is, is committed uh, to a recession at this point. 
um, because that's going to be the only way to tame demand to drive down inflation. And I think they may not have to contend with the fiscal stimulus largesse that might come out of Washington uh, with a Republican-controlled House. So I think that the disinflationary forces may be starting to to materialize. Yeah. I think maybe <clears throat> markets are, are, are we're sensing that in advance of the midterms. I think that's mm -hmm. why we saw the thousand point mm -hmm. run up um, in the, the early part of the week mm -hmm. uh, based on that speculation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's uh, very valid. I mean, a lot to be determined. Um, the other piece of that is with, again, the Republican controlled uh, house and the democratic Senate um, what does that mean for green initiatives and energy? And certainly you're not going to see any green stuff coming out of the house. Uh, well, because once again, that that's not going to be their focus. Their focus is going to be on investigations and, you know, whatever else they come up with. But, um, certainly any of the green investments will come to a screeching halt because it's not going to get the financial support from the, from the house. Right. I would think so. And I also think, again, you know, the, the picks, ExxonMobil, uh, Chevron, BP, Shell, boy, are they looking yeah. better by the day. The more traditional energy things yeah, are going to look better. Because yeah. the, the, <clears throat> the windfall taxes, unless they ram that through here um, with this lame duck Congress coming through, they're, they're home free. The Republicans are not going to levy a windfall tax on, on yeah, big oil. Right. Um, that, that feels really bullish, uh, for those names that we talked about mm -hmm. last week. Um, and I, I think they'll be poised to have another really good year. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. But you know, again, the green stuff, if you're a solar investor, hmm, maybe you're not going to get yeah, the, the tax credits, yeah, you're not the, get the tax credits, all that is going to dry up. I, I think, I mean, you know, again, the house controls the purse strings and you're not going to see the spending there. Um, the other pieces that I'm concerned with is, um, you know, what does this do with Ukraine and Russia and the energy policy? Mm -hmm. Because you're already hearing people like Marjorie Taylor Greene talk <laughs> about, well, we shouldn't be giving all this money to your Ukraine. To, you know, so if, if the support for, for Ukraine dries up, and they start to back up that funding. I don't know to what extent they can do that, but um, if that starts to dry up, I think it emboldens Putin mm -hmm. to continue with the his effort, whatever that effort is. <laughs> you know, and and energy <laughs> is going to Vladimir Putin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to me, Vladimir Putin. <laughs> energy is going to continue to be a scarcity. It, it will be. It will be. And um, I, I would say, in a way, I, I weirdly kind of conditionally agree with Marjorie Taylor Greene about the fact that the carte blanche strategy we've had in supporting Ukraine, I think, I think the time now is we need to have a frank conversation around aid should be at least partially or somewhat conditional around bilateral peace talks. And I don't think we're seeing that at all. You know, our our strategy has been we're going to sanction Russian energy. We're going to drive up the price of energy globally. 
and which is so ridiculous. You know, I, I see Ro Khanna, I'm going to go on a tangent here, so bear with me. I see Ro Khanna <laughs> go on CNBC. I see him go on all these shows and hear him talk about big oil war profiteering. No, no. Big oil is sanction profiteering, not war profiteering. It's the sanctions that we did, that our European allies did, that drove up the price of oil. That's right. why ExxonMobil right. is profiting. That's why Chevron is profiting. That's why right. these companies are profiting. And now, because they want to invest and produce more oil, which the current administration is actually preventing them from doing due to current regulations, now they're saying, well, guess what? We're going to impose a windfall profit tax on you. So we're, they're going to make those investments less profitable mm -hmm. for these companies. Right. Yeah. What is that going to do to supply? It's certainly not going to encourage an increase in supply for no. sure. No. So again, you know, house flipping, flipping to the GOP does look pretty, pretty darn bullish for ExxonMobil. But, um, you know, going, going back to, to Ukraine, the, I think we need to be smarter about what we're actually sending. I mean, there was a report a month or two ago saying that we're actually running out of equipment uh, to be sending to Ukraine without tapping into some of our emergency defense stockpiles, which we're obviously not going to do. Um, the Russians are losing territory left and right. The time feels right to offer an off-ramp for fair bilateral negotiations and we don't have to cut off aid, but we should say, look, if you want more, we need to be at least on the phone talking to one another about how we can end this conflict. Um, yeah, you right. know, it can't just our policy can't just be that we're just going to throw money and weapons at this forever. All wars end with conversation. And that conversation feels like maybe it's kind of sort of starting to happen through some back channels. But I think we can probably push that a little bit further yeah and i, I don't know what the uh, ukrainian army is looking like these days but you know certainly we've seen the reports about you know russia doesn't have the soldiers but at some point ukraine's gonna run out of army too they, <laughs> <laughs> they don't have the population yeah. to support you know a, a two-year war or whatever it's no. not it just can't happen no, it can't. so if it becomes a war of you know, the U.S. sending sophisticated artillery and weapons to Ukraine to keep them fighting against the Russian um, artillery and technologies. Uh, th that can't continue. That's That has to come to an end. Yeah, yeah. I heard a thing, actually, only 30% of that stuff is making it over there anyway. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know how true that is. Oh. That's just what I heard. Yeah. So 70% is just yeah. going missing. Yeah, where is it going? Right. Yeah, exactly. And who's going to take it? And reverse engineer it. Um, yeah. You know that's that's the other that's the other risk in my opinion. Yeah. But but we're also getting into this messy stage where all these other malign actors are starting to come in. Like I, I read I read uh, this past week that Iran has acknowledged that they're sending um, drones into Ukraine uh, to bolster uh, Russian operations. There, it's like you know this this doesn't have to be a tinderbox. Okay, mm. like I mean it's it's clearly in a stalemate ish type of phase right now may tilted maybe in favor towards the ukrainians um that kind of feels like an opportunity for peace um and it, that's when i would turn really bullish on the markets actually um you know if if we had if we had some sort of trade normalization if we had a ceasefire if we had peace pack i would i would be all on board bullish on the markets um 
but you know, as long as Putin views it as an existential crisis for him personally, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, and th- that he can't get out of it without losing, losing too much face. It's kind of hard to see that scenario, but I think the door is cracked. Um, and I think all we have to do is push it a little bit wider. Yeah. You know, uh, <clears throat> I think the, uh, the thing is too, if, if this becomes, well, and it is becoming mm-hmm. a war of, you know, daily battleground type stuff. And we don't really hear too much on the news anymore about what's going on. Every once in a while you hear about the withdrawal from Kyrgyzstan or wherever it was. And, you know, it's almost like the market is yawning and they, saying, they are. okay, we're kind of done with the market this. is over it. Yeah. It's still uncertain as to how it's going to turn out, but it's really not having much of an impact on the overall market. Now you can look at specific sectors. Certainly the energy sector would be impacted by an ongoing war. Mm-hmm. Certainly. But beyond that, um, it really doesn't affect the tech sectors and, you know, the healthcare sectors and the rest of them. So it's really, uh, it, it's, it's almost, if it continues on at this stage or like it has been, it's going to become a non-issue. It's really food and gas, um, is, is really the, the impact of the war. And, you know, those, have, those have obviously been inflationary, um, uh, to the average person, right? Ukraine produces a lot of wheat, uh, a lot of oils, um, uh, you know, soybeans a lot of grain uh comes from the blacks those black sea ports um it's obviously been inflationary um but again you know it it's largely been the sanctions that have driven these prices up more than anything else like i i can't continue to emphasize that point enough i mean sure uh there maybe have been there's been some destruction of farmland in the bread basket uh, of europe Uh, can't discount that at all Um, but really it's been the sanctions the inability to get the grain out of Ukraine um, and the energy uh, that's, that's been driving all this. And it, we, we continue to see it showing up in CPI. Yeah, and the uh, sanctions are, are affecting certainly the oligarchs more than Putin personally or Putin's <laughs> Putin's strategy. So yeah. you wonder how long that's going to go on. It's some, I mean, a game changer would be if they unite and you know somehow throw him out. <laughs> Right, and yeah. they get a, we get a new government in Russia. That that's going to be a major game changer yeah. for the market. I mean, but you know, it's 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 opposite world in Russia. You know, like we think, oh, the oligarchs they support Putin, they pick Putin. It's like no, in Russia everything's opposite. No, right. you know, in Mother Russia, you know, Putin pick you. You yeah. know, that's kind of how like yeah. <laughs> that's kind of how this, it's it true. goes. That's you know, true. like Putin yeah. picks his oligarchs, the oligarchs don't pick him. You know, and we we always just cling to the hope that it's the other way around. But if yeah. if it, you know, if if it hasn't happened yet, I mean, it's it's not going. It's to, going to be it's tough. Going, it yeah, would be tough. It will be. Yeah. yeah, but but the optimistic run up um, going into the midterms continued, and then it hit a bump in the road with FTX, and we can we can talk about Sam Bankman Fried um, a little bit later. But but the CPI came out. On Thursday, yeah. I'm not sure if you watched the market action before the open and then during the day, um, but it was the sixth biggest up day in terms of absolute point gains in Dow Jones history. Okay, mm. 
And obviously a rare day, um, a significant day. But I went back and I looked at most of the up days of that magnitude. And you know when they happened? No. March 2020, during the COVID crash. Okay, right. Yeah. 2008. Hmm. During the great financial crisis. That was before the big crash? It was during. During the big crash. Many months in 2008 did we see massive percentage gains. And so you look at a rally that happened like this on Thursday where the 10-year felt something like 40 basis points down from 4.2% on the 10-year to 3.8. I mean, it just stamped out all the Federal Reserve's work in one day. The dollar crashed 4%. I think it was something um, on Thursday and Friday. Um, Risk assets exploded with the Dow up 1,200 points um, on Thursday alone. S&P, I want to say, was up 5%. The NASDAQ up over 7% mm-hmm. in one day. All because yeah. we got a CPI at 7.7%, <laughs> which is the highest it's still been since 1984. Yeah. So, still, But markets still. are all about expectations. And it was expected to be 8%. It came in at 7.7%. Right. That's right. Month on month, it was supposed to be 0.6%. It came in 0.4% month on month for CPI. Yeah. Um, so hope springs eternal. And I think what we saw was a massive scramble to cover shorts um, when that happened. And you look at it, the, the pricing action on the Dow was up like 800 points before the opening bell. Okay. Right. I mean, in the the short squeeze that ensued, um, you know, was one of those epic, unbelievable bear market rallies that only occur in the rarest of circumstances when everyone is on one side of the trade and everyone was everyone, myself included, was expecting a hot CPI number. And what we got was something a little bit softer than that. And markets just exploded. So I'm looking at a chart here, Ben. And it's the uh, change in personal consumption expenditures. The PCE. Yeah, PCE. It's 5.1%. That was, uh, we haven't gotten the refreshed figures on that. That's coming. A piece, uh, PCE comes after CPI. That one's still going to be around 5-ish percent. Okay. That's the Fed's gauge, really. There's this continued misconception that inflation is all about CPI or core CPI. No, I mean, you look on the Chicago Fed's website, their dual mandate says they are looking at PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, and their target is 2% for that. Um, so did we... Well, it be interesting to see what it comes in at. So we saw something on Thursday where maybe we're reaching this plateauing phase of inflation and someone I can't remember on CNBC made a very, very eloquent statement, which was, it's going to be easy for us to get inflation from 8% to 5%. Right. Yeah. It's going to be a lot harder for us to get it from 5% to 4%. Yeah. 
it's going to be very, very hard for us to get it from 4% to 3%. And it's going to be extremely difficult for us to get it from 3% down to 2%. And I think that was a, a really, really great point. Um, and with the 7.7% the that came out, like you said, the PCE number is still 5.1%. We still need to get to a positive real interest rate, the Fed funds rate needs to be at least that much mm. we have to see something around i i think five and a half percent um in order to tame the pce the the fed funds rate has to be higher than the pce rate yeah. to yeah. bring it down you need a positive real restrictive interest rate um but the markets now are pricing in a terminal rate of 4.8 percent 40 yes. bips Four, came yeah. off yeah. on thursday yeah. yep yep yeah, I saw five, but yeah, that's, I mean, close enough. Um, here's another number for you. Producer price index. Yeah. Dropped 5%. No. Wow. From from radically high numbers, <laughs> from, yeah. but came down 5%. Yeah. Um, so you're seeing a softening in commodity markets and, you know, basic input costs for producers. Uh, that at some point is going to filter through, hopefully it should, through into consumer prices. It should, yeah. So, again, to my point from last week, we need to s see what happens. We need to sit back and digest all this and, and take it in. And, and I think that's what the Federal Reserve will do. Yeah. The, um, the, thing, the thing, too, is um, the producer price index obviously is measuring the inputs. And yeah. manufacturers love it um, when we're in a situation where we're in, where we have high inflation and the inputs are maybe starting to break. Because you know what that means? Sure. Profit. Margin. Yeah. That's right. Your cost of goods sold starts to go down while you get the lagged effect of those sticky prices in the store. Until you start marking them down. So are you saying and that price gouging going on? There? I don't think. <laughs> I don't, oh, my God. I don't think Elizabeth so. I Warren's going to be coming in. <laughs> oh, gosh. Don't even get me started. Um, but, you know, a, a market's a market. Um, you know, and a lot of the talking heads are very happy to cherry pick only a handful of data points and say, see, see, prices are, prices are really coming down while ignoring the fact um, that the the elephant of the room is still going to be the U.S. dollar, which um, Thursday really really shook shook me hard. I still have religion. I'm still a little. I'm still bullish on the U.S. dollar uh, because of the quantitative tightening program uh, that the Federal Reserve is still really in its early days of. Mm -hmm. um, that really only ramped up seriously in October. Um, but as the U.S. dollar starts to tick back down. There's no reason to believe why uh, there's no reason to believe that import prices shouldn't go up. The dollar denominated commodities like oil, gold, <laughs> silver, corn, soybeans, what have you, natural gas shouldn't have a corresponding increase because as the dollar weakens yeah. in relative terms to other currencies, the prices for those dollar-denominated assets or commodities should be going they have up. To up yeah. That's an inflationary force, and that, that to me, feels like something that's still missing. So I, I, 
I don't know. Like I, I do I do still think the dollar is going to have to be strong in order for us to officially conquer inflation. Uh, but with the dollar index down, you know, down to one oh six and it was at one thirteen not even two weeks ago. Right. Yes. Um, that's a massive shock to the system, uh, mm-hmm. all of a sudden. Um, it makes makes my wager on the US dollar look really bad. <laughs> we talked about last week. That that bet's starting to look really awful. Um but you know um you know one swallow doesn't make a spring. Um you know and, and we have to see a lot more um I think in order to believe in this <laughs> this rally or that the dollar is going down definitively. Yeah. I'm just not there yet. Um, but I, I see you've got something there, and then I'll we'll, we can talk. Oh, no, I, CPI that, those are just the charts I was referring to. Mm-hmm. You know, it had the producer price index, and it's 13 different charts of, of what's going on. Uh, these aren't all up to date, but certainly, uh, mm-hmm. the last two I mentioned were. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, with that, one thing. Going back to the, uh, the midterms and kind of the wipeout of the Trump-endorsed <laughs> candidates, um, is this the end of Trumpy Dumpty? Do Trump, we, Trumpy do Dumpty we, sat on a wall. Yeah, so no. <laughs> Trumpy Dumpty and, had a great fall. And, and if it is, what does that mean long term for the markets? Because I, I then I think you have you've got the twenty twenty four elections coming up. It's going to be a fiasco for the Republicans. I I I kind of feel like the American people indicted Trumpism um, this this past election, and you look at what happened in Florida in the gubernatorial election, where DeSantis it, you know, pummeled Christ by it, it must have been twenty points. I think was the end tally. Uh, DeSantis getting sixty percent. Yeah. of the vote compared to Chris's 40 percent um you look at a candidate like that in for 2024 uh, Ron DeSantis um after the midterms it's kind of hard to not think that someone like that might not be the present presumptive nominee um in a state like Florida that carries what 29. Electoral votes, yeah, uh, we'll, something like that. Well, it's we'll see how poli- clinch. We'll see how politically adept he is over the next two years. Because if he starts making waves now about, oh yeah, I'm going to run, it's far too early to be discussing that. Um, you know, Trump's going to be jumping in. Mm. I mean, he's mm-hmm. supposed to be making an announcement this week. I don't know if he still will. I think it's going to depend on what happens with Carrie Lake mm-hmm. in Arizona, because if she loses, there goes his VP. Because, oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. So. That, there was talk about he, she was going to be his VP mm-hmm. on his ticket, and she's well, one of the deniers, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, so what happens to his ticket? So if he's going to run in twenty twenty four, DeSantis eventually comes in and runs. What does that debate look like? Mm-hmm. I mean, how does how did DeSantis run? You know, based on the Trump agenda. Mm-hmm. Against Trump, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be- because he essentially he's almost Trump light. Yeah, he's um, Trump light, but how, you he's, know, like, he's like diet Trump. How, how is he um, going to compete? How is he going to compete against that? I think they're going to be that's going to be a mess. Yeah, yeah, because I think I think with the DeSantis, um, the voters will see someone who's largely rational 
um, actually, uh, who doesn't have the baggage uh, that that Trump has, and you're gonna get all the all the favorite Republican goodies uh, yeah. that you that you yeah. want with a DeSantis, right? Like you're gonna get you're gonna get deregulation. Um, you know, you're gonna get an across the board energy policy. Right. Um, you know, you're you're gonna get all those. Republican classic. You're going to get those good things that thing. the Republicans want. Yes. Without right. without, without any of the the scandal, the 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 Russia Gate, um, you know the the affairs. Um, I mean, you know, just my gosh. I mean, you know, so so I kind of kind of took this election as like maybe we turn the page on Trumpism um, as as a society. Um, now, yeah. who knows? Maybe we'll yeah. get smacked in the face you know we um watch watch real time with bill maher and he's always characterized him as jaws you know he's just he's trump has just gone out to sea for a little while he's still gonna he's still gonna come back and 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 destroy the boat and you know eat the first mate maybe we'll see if he gets indicted uh actually by by merrick garland uh that could be coming in the next couple months you never know there yeah that could but yeah um, yeah, you know, you, you look at someone like that and think, um, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the, that, that stock is rising for sure. It's hard not to be bullish, uh, on someone like DeSantis. You know, if he were a stock, I would buy him tomorrow. Right. Um, right. you know, especially yeah. after a convincing victory like that. Yeah. He ticks a lot of boxes for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, I think it'll be an interesting battle if that does happen between the two of them. I mean, the name I, I calling just, alone will be entertaining. I just can't. Imagine. Ron DeSanctimonious. Did <laughs> you see that one? <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what their debate will be. It's right. going to be a back right. and forth name calling. You said this. You did that. Blah blah blah. It's not going to be any policy discussions. Yeah. You know, certainly Trump never does that, anyways. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> wrong. So I think wrong. You're wrong. I never did that. <laughs> I've got words. A lot of words. So many words. I have the best words. <laughs> <laughs> this would, um, yeah, it, you know, so uh, from a market standpoint, again, we got to look at that and go mm-hmm. down the road. What's that going to look like? And what are you going to be investing in mm-hmm. two years from now? Because yeah. I, I do think the market's going to settle. You know, the gridlock's going to going to help us out here. But, you know, everything's going to kind of come out in the wash. We might see the Ukrainian thing settle down. I think we're setting ourselves up for a pretty good two years. But then looking forward, where does it go? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, and a lot of this will will bring us back to, I think, inflation, uh, which was supposedly the reason the Republicans were supposed to do well. Um, in an odd way, I think we got a lot of offsetting issues like abortion, uh, crime, uh, versus inflation, gasoline costs, and the Ukraine war that all kind of came out in the wash, and we didn't actually get much change in the composition of Congress. Yeah. Wait, um, I mean, isn't that surprising? I mean, the, the polls going into this was number one f- factor for voters was inflation. That seemed to be everything allegedly. everyone was concerned about, right? Allegedly, yeah. Well, why didn't the Democrats get blown out? It, yeah, it, it it is it is a bit of a mystery. Um, you so know, what were maybe, people voting on? It couldn't have been all abortion, abortion or election abortion, denials. Yeah. Um, you know, mm. are, are probably probably the two things. Like the election deniers did not do well. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw Lauren Boebert in um, in Colorado. Um, her her race, which she, yeah. I think she won by double digits last go around, yeah. she was within 
like a thousand votes or less still, and that race is not yet called. But um, she's a bit of a bit of a loon. Um, but but broadly, election deniers lost a lot of ground, um, and uh, and a couple were definitely unseated. But but people so maybe, were supposed maybe, to be voting on inflation. But but yeah, I think you're right, and they didn't. I think they vote. I think there was just fatigue. Yeah. There was just the election denier, the Trump fatigue, and yeah. they just said, "Okay, we're done with that. Let's stick with what we've got." Yeah, we have inflation, but mm, you know we can live with it. It's not going to last yeah. forever. Yeah, and I, I think that's how people voted. And it just and now that we got a supposedly soft CPI at seven percent, you know maybe that maybe that. I don't know. Feeds yeah. into the psyche a little bit, but yeah, I want, I want to unpack some of these CPI. Pop numbers. the champagne bottles. Yeah. <laughs> the seven point seven percent. The party is coming. It's only a forty-year high. <laughs> no big deal. We're but down to seven point seven. Seven point seven percent, and um, I'm going to need a quick little refill uh, before we run down these numbers. But okay. they were they were extremely interesting um, because I I looked under the hood, and you know the. The, the trained monkeys on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, they don't care about that. They only, they only care about what's the total number, what changed, and did it beat the expectations. And I'm going to press that buy button as hard as I can. Boy, howdy. Back they up do. the truck. Buy, buy, buy. And if everybody's buying, sell, sell, sell. Everyone's buying, the buy. Or sell, sell, sell. sell, sell. sell. Everyone's <laughs> selling, then buy, buy, buy. You know, and that's what we have going on. And, um and and I guarantee you, we would have had exactly the opposite if inflation had come in at say eight point five percent. We would yeah. have they would have been hitting that sell button so hard yeah. you wouldn't even believe it. Their iPads yeah. would have exploded. Um, but you look at something like this, okay. and um, we uh, we have the numbers here, and I did a little analytics on them. We'll, we'll take down the year over year quickly because the year over year was up seven. Point seven percent, food up ten point nine percent, energy, which includes energy commodities, gasoline, um, was up seventeen point six percent year over year. Energy services, which is electricity and and utility piped gas services, which is natural gas, uh, really for for home heating, uh, cooking if you have a gas range, uh, that was up. Fifteen point six percent. Energy overall is like seventeen, right? Uh, energy overall, um, energy overall seventeen up seventeen six. Yep, seventeen point six percent year over year. Um, new cars up eight point four percent. Used cars still up two percent. Apparel up four point one percent. Medical care commodities up three point one percent. And then um, services excluding energy services so airfare hotels leisure restaurants all that stuff up set 6.7 percent shelter up 6.9 percent we gotta talk a little bit about that one a little bit more tell us what shelter is technically yeah shelter shelter is um the cost to rent an apartment to stay in lodging away from home or the cost of your primary residence, not the price of your house, 
the cost to live in your primary it's, it's the rent residence. equivalency it's the rental right? equivalency yeah. is how they do it because yeah. because economists consider your house a capital asset uh yeah. that's that's going to go up or down what they want to look at is what is the value that the house offers to you in terms of shelter and if you didn't own a house what would it cost you to be sheltered somewhere else? Right. So if you had to, <laughs> yeah. if you had to rent where you live currently, that's how they calculate yeah. it. That's but then, equivalency, transportation services. Okay, so you know, uh, airfare, rental cars, uh, bus tickets, all that stuff. You know, fift, up fifteen point two percent, and then medical care services up five point four percent, and then month to month. Uh, because this is one that I really want to talk about. Because what were the things month over month that brought inflation down? Okay, we were expecting eight okay. percent last mm-hmm. month. It was eight point two percent. This month it's seven point seven percent. What brought right. inflation down? Mm. So month over month, um, utility, piped gas services, natural gas. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting, because now natural gas is back up through the roof. Um, okay, I don't know if that's one we can hang our hat on uh, for continuing. Um, used cars, yes, down 2.4%. We definitely have a bubble that's bursting here. You look at Carvana stock or any a CarMax or any one of these other used dealers, they have so much inventory, they can't get rid of them. Do They're you, marking them down. Do you have, is um, this chart, do you have weights on those? Is this weighted? This, this isn't This isn't weighted. Um, no. So it's just the basket of goods in the CPI. No, this is this or, is how each individual line okay. item within the basket performed, um, and then, uh, I mean, used cars. That makes a ton of sense, right? There's a glut of used cars on the market. Uh, they're marking those down. You look, like I said, at those stocks. They're getting absolutely bushwhacked mm-hmm. uh, in this environment. Apparel, sure. Yeah. Apparel down 07 percent month on month. I think that kind of makes sense. We heard that from Nike that they had inventory that was up 44% year over year sneakers that they were going to have to start unloading. And the only way you unload excess inventory is you start marking down the price. Well, and that's, Um, that's happened with other retailers too. Yeah. I mean, we've seen them, they've, they've been sitting on a lot of inventory and now they've, they're selling it off and, you know, we'll see what happens with the uh, Christmas season. It, it kind of could be cheap. Big price um, cuts potentially. Yeah, or for could, apparel could be for apparel. Apparel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hope you like the new sweater this year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't size <laughs> right. because everything else is too dang expensive. Right. But apparel, apparel is finally it's starting to be a to better year for socks and underwear. And, and, <laughs> interest, interestingly, apparel has begun a march downward. Um, apparel was down point um, three uh, percent in September. Um, so we have a we have a trend uh, of of apparel costs going down, but then medical care services. That's the other one that went down 06 percent month on month, and I mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted to look into this one in particular. So 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 just to to recap, what went down? Natural gas. We had used cars, apparel, and medical care services. Okay. Yeah. I think I think natural gas is going to quickly reverse. Um, so you're still looking at year over year. No, that's month over month. Oh, that's month over that's okay. month over month because okay. I want to see what were the drivers okay. that brought inflation down. And yeah. those were the yeah. ones. That's a... Um 
those were those were the biggest decreases as I saw just flipping through this chart here. But medical care services in September was up one percent. Mm-hmm. In October, down. 0.6%. And that one really got me scratching my head because I can't remember the last time, you know, any one of my family, I've got two kids, uh, ages three and two, they both just almost knocked their teeth out um, last week that remember thinking going to a dentist or a healthcare provider, oh, geez, I really got a bang for my buck there. I mean, I can't believe how deflationary that was. What a score. Um, so, you know, that, that doesn't seem to square, um, you know, with my my heuristic of reality. Yeah, I can't, I can't uh, so, there. so I looked into it and the driver for medical care services was insurance month over month. Now that also did not square with reality because I just re-enrolled um, at my company mm-hmm. and my monthly premiums are up, not down. Um, And I think I'm probably speaking for the majority of Americans um, thinking that, yeah, my premiums just go up every year. Every year. My premiums never (laughs) stay flat. All all insurance does. Like it it absolutely never happens. So, so I, 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 I looked, I looked into it. Like how, how can this possibly be? How can health insurance possibly have such a weighting on the index that it's decreasing the cost of medical care services as, as reported here in CPI. So I looked into it and what, the CPI is doing is they don't care about your premiums, okay? They don't care about your reimbursements. They only care about what's called the retained earnings ratio. Hmm. All right, we're going to go deep for a second here. So it, let's oh, pre- get into the weeds. We're here. getting into the weeds because I think this spells out the monkey mechanics that Maybe we are helicopter. Here. Okay, the, let's, the sound effect's going to cost you. That's right. <laughs> let's, let's, Everything's going up. Let's let's talk about how this works. So let's let's pretend um, let's pretend you are a um, an insurance company. The way you make your money is by collecting premiums from people. Okay, and you have to pay out a certain amount in reimbursements uh, every year. Uh, to your policyholders for legitimate claims, go to the right, hospital, claims, doctor, right, or whatever. Okay, right. if it's covered by the policy, you you pay it out to compensate, and then that leftover is the retained earnings. Mm-hmm. That is what the government is measuring, and the reason they do that is because um, they want to account for quality differences year over year in your insurance plan. Okay, so what they're saying is all else equal. If your premiums stay the same, but if you get a little more reimbursements, that's actually a deflationary force because your effective cost of insurance has gone down Mm. because you're getting more reimbursements, your premiums stay the same. So Mm. that's actually a disinflationary force for you Mm -hmm. uh, because they're paying out. So we're going to use the retained earnings ratio to measure that, right? Everyone with me so far? Mm. So. I looked. I, I made up a little hypothetical scenario that bear with me. Okay, so let's say you, um, Alex, have a policy and you pay a hundred dollars a year in premiums. Okay, okay, pretty good deal, right? Yeah, pretty good. I'll take <laughs> it back. Great. And let's say that you get fifty bucks back in reimbursements, you know, to cover your annual physical or your flu shot or whatever it is. You get that back. The retained earnings that the insurance company keeps is $50, right? You paid in $50. You got back $50. The insurance company gets $50. The retained earnings ratio is 0.5. 
Makes sense? Mm -hmm. 50 divided by 100. Yep. Your out-of-pocket cost is $50. Okay. What happened during the pandemic? Largely, people went to the hospital um, and unfortunately died. Uh, but also their utilization of insurance went way down. Yeah. Like way down because people didn't go to the doctor. People didn't do their... The normal things they would do. Yeah, they didn't do their routine check-ins. They didn't go to the dentist. Um, they didn't go to the eye doctor. They just, everyone just kind of stayed home, except for the unfortunate ones who had to go to the hospital. So, but what happened was actually premiums went up. Yeah. So premiums went up. Let's say they went up to $120, okay? So you went up to $120. That's up 20%. And your reimbursements, because you didn't go to the doctor, went down. So let's say you only got reimbursed 20 bucks. The retained earnings for the company, for the insurance company, would be $100. Your out-of-pocket costs would be $100 because you paid 120 premiums, you got reimbursed $20. Therefore, your net, $100. That retained earnings ratio is 83.83. That's a 67% inflationary force that would be reported in CPI. Okay, now we're out of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's say your premiums are still going up. So instead of $120, you're going to pay $130. And let's say you're actually going to get reimbursed a little bit more because you're actually doing stuff again. You're actually going to the doctor or dentist, all that. So your reimbursements go up from $20 to $25. The retained earnings then for the insurance company are $105. $130 minus the $25 they paid out. 105 retained earnings. That retained earnings ratio then becomes 0.81. Okay, so think about that. You're paying $10 more in premiums. You're getting $5 more in reimbursements. The insurance company is making $5 more in retained earnings. But the retained earnings ratio went down 3% from 0 0.83 to 0.81. Congratulations on the deflation. <laughs> Your out-of-pocket went from $100 to $105. You paid $130 in premiums, got reimbursed $25, $105 out-of-pocket. Yeah. That's a 5% increase. But congratulations, 3% so deflation for you. To the individual consumer, his cost went up. Your costs went up, but for CPI, but for CPI, you enjoyed some deflation yeah. because yeah, what yeah. they're saying is on a relative basis, you got more in reimbursements than the insurance company did in retained, the retained earnings. Earnings mm. percentage went down. Yes, on a percentage basis, you got more in in reimbursements than the insurance the company got retained earnings, earnings. Down on a higher base that <laughs> therefore <laughs> so you enjoyed deflation screwed, on your policy thank you very feds, much bureau of labor statistics so that's what we have going on in our cpi that was a that was a great analysis there ben yeah that was great but now but now you got to help me with <laughs> you got to help me with one also more. also terrifying yeah, yeah awesome. it is yeah and you got to help me with one more or we're probably out of time here, but give me a quick one on this one. Mm. Something close to home. Cheese. Oh, my. Went up 12.4% year over year. Oh, no. It's horrible. What are we going to do? I got a theory for you. Eat more cheese? Eat less cheese. I don't know. 
Um, I also have a theory, but we'll wait. No, you know what? Um, When when was it happening? When um, dairy farmers were having to dump milk and kill their dairy cows uh, because there wasn't adequate demand. When was that? Was that was that late 2020 or was yeah, that early 2021? Was, I, th- um, I think that was a couple years ago. That? I think because, that, that was during COVID. Because of all the school yeah. closures. Right. There wasn't the, the consumption wasn't going on. The they, consumption of milk for children. The cows, keep, size the cows keep giving milk. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, it doesn't matter if people aren't drinking it. And they have, they have to dump it, they right? Dump because, it. I yeah. mean, it's, an, it's something that spoils immediately. Right. Um, yeah, that's... That's a bummer. Um, yeah, so see milk, cheese costs going up. Milk prices go up. Cheese prices are going to go up. Uh, I mean, May 6, 2020. That's when that happened. Why, May. why American farmers are dumping milk. Dumping milk. Right. Okay, so that's too far removed yeah, for so, this Well, so milk was up 14.5. So stands to reason cheese is going to be up too. Well, yeah. So. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, you know, you want a, you want a good cheese... It's kind of a luxury item, um, you know. These days, I mean, you know, I went to the the Piggly Wiggly, and they want like sixteen bucks. Yeah, cheese for prices some, are for some Romano cheese. It's oh, it's, like it's crazy. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. And olive oil, that's especially nice. here, you'd think it'd be much it's cheaper. It's intolerable. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're, we're probably paying a lot less than right other states. Right, right, you know, right. Yeah. Then got to find a good cheese to go with bourbon, though. Yeah. I don't <laughs> <laughs> drink more bourbon. Yeah. And then yeah. I don't know if we have time, but the la- the very last topic would be um, the implosion of crypto that happened with Sam Bankman Freed. I don't know if you oh, saw that that yeah. fuzzy haired lunatic. Yeah. Um, but essentially, yeah. it looks to me like he was he was running a complete and total Ponzi scheme where, um, you know, crypto depositors of Bitcoin were entrusting FTX uh, with their assets and as you would expect depositing crypto in a in a crypto bank you're probably going to need a pretty high degree of interest um, you know on that that asset and most most Bitcoin depositors require about 20% that's what the market is on those deposits and how do you get a 20% return on your deposit if you are the owner of the crypto bank well, you're probably going to have to lend out the Bitcoin to someone who wants to buy more Bitcoin, perhaps. Mm-hmm. That's the fundamental asset that's been going up 20% um, <laughs> every month for the past year, which is great until crypto reaches an inflection point and starts to go down. Mm-hmm. And then everyone who borrowed the depositor's Bitcoin to purchase it for themselves couldn't post adequate margin yep. <laughs> to, to pay back the depositors mm-hmm. the 20% rate that they were getting. Um, and then the whole thing just cascades in a series of unfortunate margin calls <laughs> uh, that brings the whole system down and will, in my opinion, take El Salvador down with it, um, <laughs> which is <laughs> government hold, holds $300 million worth of Bitcoin or did um, in their, tre- in their treasury as their, as their desire to oh um, divorce themselves from the U S dollar. They, they put all they their put chips on the Bitcoin. table in Bitcoin, which is good, you know, now down smart 70%. So yeah. uh, unfortunately, if you're in El Salvador, you yeah. may be seeing a special tax assessment. Yeah. You because always want to invest in paperware. 
So ban- Sam Bankman-Fried, who was worth $16 billion, lost 15.1 of it in one day on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And then he lost the remaining $900 million on the next day when FTX went bankrupt yeah. because they lent out all of the depositors' crypto uh, to people who wanted to buy it on margin who didn't have adequate collateral uh, to cover the losses after the crypto started to decline. Um, so if you're Sam Bankman-Fried, um, you know, you heard it here first. Um, certainly major lawsuits, but most likely jail time's coming for this guy uh, in, in, the, yeah. in the very near future. It, it should. He, he, he really screwed people. But, but, you know, he he duped a lot of stupid people. Right. And a stupid government. I mean, yeah. you know, the people invest in that stuff. Um, the, the thing is with the, the whole cryptocurrency, it's a fad. It's going to go away. I mean, you look at the entire cryptocurrency market is now eight hundred and fifty less billion. than a trillion. Yeah. Less than a trillion. At one point, it was several trillion. Three trillion. Three trillion. It's now down to eight hundred and fifty billion. The entire U.S. market is what one hundred and ten trillion now. Sounds about a billion. Trillion. Oh, uh, the U.S. The market, US market yes. you know, equities, for all assets. equities, yeah. assets. So all of cryptocurrency could go defunct, and it's not going to be a blip on the entire market. Yeah, the the overhang is going to be. That's my feeling. The overhang but, is going to be, who were the ones who were investing who in were, these exchanges? Who were the Lehman Brothers? Who were they? Yes. Who were the ones? And we know right. BlackRock was in right. on it. We know several others were definitely in a Anthony Scaramucci. Remember him? Um, <laughs> Haven't heard that, that name in a while. The he was mooch. the press secretary for Trump for what a day, yeah. seven <laughs> days or something yeah, like something that. Something like that. Yeah, 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 Kev, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. Um, yeah. You know, we're gonna see we're gonna see a lot of blood in the streets uh, when all the <laughs> all this but, comes to but light. But all the really I mean, smart people got out of cryptocurrency a long time at ago. The top. Jim Cramer, he got out, he cashed in, he built a $50 million mansion in New York. I mean, but then Mark got, Cuban, they all got out long ago Kevin because they knew what was coming. But then you got, you yeah, got but these Kevin other O'Leary, guys. Kevin O'Leary, probably, he, didn't have, he probably didn't put that much into it. I mean, he, No, he did. Yeah. He, was, he had the audacity to say, I want to go to Washington and I want regulation for, for the crypto industry, which... Completely defeats the entire value proposition well, of crypto in the first right, place. Was right. it was meant to be a deregulated thing, right, yeah. and that's the problem. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was supposed to be decentralized. Exactly. You could do anything on crypto. Yeah. You it's, know that was a way to launder your it, money. It's a conundrum. Which, yeah. The value in it, the value of it, is that it's not regulated. The danger in it is it's not regulated. Which I think that that's the mistake a lot of people made is that they saw a an interesting new technological development as an investment tool. And that's, I don't think that's what crypto is going to end up being in the long term. No. And you look at, you look at the Kathy Wood Ark Innovation Fund. Um, and she's a kook. She she was just saying last week, crypto is going to, uh, Bitcoin's going to go back to a million dollars a coin. Um, and then not even a day later, FTX went bust. And, <laughs> Yeah, her Ark Innovation Fund is down, <laughs> down eighty percent. You know, here's the year to date. Here's I mean, the here's the good thing about the, um, you know, increase in interest rates. 
it shakes it. out the speculative nonsense that goes on. It does. And that's a good thing it's for the market. It's a cleansing process. It is. Yeah. That's a, a very good thing for the market. Gotta gotta keep it clean and keep it clean. Keep it clean, keep it real. Keep it clean and you gotta drink more bourbon. Yep. Yep. If you can't touch it, don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right.